Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing a fairly new friend of mine. We've known each other for about probably six months, maybe a little bit longer than that. And we met through a, an online coaching deal that I do. And so we've never actually met in person. He's a brilliant guy. He has long history of ministry in the military. And now the thing that he's doing, coaching other people. So John, welcome to the, to the podcast. Hey, Ralph, thanks so much. I, I'm, I'm actually honored <laughs> to, that you invited me to be on your podcast. You've been such a, a person that I've admired for quite a while. Uh, even before meeting you um, uh, in person. I mean, meeting, like, connecting with you online, just looking at some of the work, reading about some of the work that you've done, and even hearing it from other people, uh, your impact on the church uh, globally uh, has just been uh, been amazing. So so honored uh, honored to be here. Great, great. I want you to just uh, um, tell us a little bit about your journey. I know you were in the military, and then, you know, how, what happened after, and, 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 I, and how you got to where you are. Yeah, I, I grew up, um, you know, and the, the weird thing is so many people say this. I grew up as a pastor's kid, right? <laughs> I, I, I hear it a lot. I'm like, there, there really is something to that, actually, something being passed down, perhaps yeah. generationally. You hear, it from, <laughs> you hear it from preachers and gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, my dad was, uh, he was an Air Force chaplain, and my mom was also active duty, and so so growing up, there are two things happening there. Growing up in the military context, we're constantly moving around all the time. Every two to three years, there was a new assignment. But then also growing up as a, as a pastor's kid um, in that same context. So uh, so those were kind of two strong parallels in my life. And then then I um, I accepted my call into the ministry around when I was 15 years old. And uh, I distinctly remember this conversation that uh, God had with me on July 25th, uh, 1992 at 11.40 p.m. It was a Saturday evening. And because I, I was fighting the idea of being in ministry, just because everyone always said, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? I'm like, no, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a doctor because that's where the money is. There's no money in ministry. And so, um, so, when I, so this particular evening, when this dialogue was happening, before I recognized it was God, I thought it was just me rehearsing things that people were saying to me. And I didn't want that to be why I go into ministry. Um, but then it distinctly shifted into, you know, God saying, no, this, this is me. I'm talking to you. <laughs> and so um, anyhow, so I started ministry when I was, when I was 15. So still in high school, uh, went on to, to undergrad and uh, still wanted to be a doctor at that time. And, uh, and that shifted really in, in undergrad. And uh, then I decided to go to full to seminary full-time after that, and then right into the Air Force chaplaincy. So I was a chaplain for nine years, um, did a couple of summer tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, Iraq in 2007, Afghanistan in 2010. And then, um, uh, and then I got out of the Air Force and uh, took a job at a church here in Northern California. And I was there for nine years as their executive pastor. And uh, one of the things that I saw there was there's clearly a difference in church leadership versus leadership in the military. And that there's just a not you know, the military is a leadership factory. I mean, it cranks out leaders all the time. At every grade, 
uh, and rank of leader of, of every rank, there is a leadership school at every rank, whether you're enlisted or an officer. And so, so coming out of that context into the context of the church and the civilian setting and seeing how that's, man, there's just not a lot of leadership happening there, uh, at least comparative to the military context. Um, so I was able to share some of my, my giftings that I had, had, had acquired and, and some skills that I learned to help bring some structure and organization to the church that I was at. So after nine years of doing that, I thought, man, I, I, I think I can, I can add this to other pastors and other churches. And so I stepped down a couple of years ago to be a, a full-time church consultant um, in 2019. And so, you know, like a lot of people had varieties of retreats lined up and speaking engagements and things for 2020. And then I got email after email. Hey, we got to cancel. We got to cancel. We got to cancel. And so I was like, oh man, so this is, this is crazy. But um, so then looking at the online coaching space um, and opportunities available there. And so that's when I started kind of creating an online, online ministry, uh, on- online consulting business. But at the same time, I'm seeing this trend even before COVID of so many, you know, millions of Christians leaving the church, leaving the church, leaving the church. And I thought, man, they're, they're there has to be, God has to have some kind of a plan for them. Um, and, and so I began to dive into and research, why are so many people leaving? So some people are leaving the church and, uh, you know, that leaving that model, the Sunday morning model of church, right? It focuses on Sunday morning, teaching programs. And they left that model in search of something else, but there wasn't a whole lot of something else. So they just were floundering out there by themselves. And then there are others who left the church because they were leaving Christianity, right? Um, and either going for another religion or being atheist or whatever. But there were millions. As I dove into a study, um, I can't remember his name now. He wrote a book called Church Refugees, and a report came out in 2015. Um, hopefully his name will come to me. But, uh, but in that book, he was talking about how the majority of people who are these church refugees, they, 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 if you think about a refugee, they, they left a place not because they wanted to, right? Like something was happening that forced them out. They couldn't be there anymore, but they're still gifted, still talented. They, and he found in his research that when you think of the 80-20 rule in churches, you know, the 20% doing most of the work of the 80%, that he found that the, the majority of people who were leaving the church were from that 20%. Now, if you step back and go, man, if the church is losing people out of our 20%, like this, this is a problem. And so I felt like there has to be a way that God wanted to, to, to kind of wrangle them in, right? Going after the quote unquote lost sheep, so to speak, and, and build community amongst them. Because these people are, according to this report, they are the, they're the givers, they're the servers, they're spiritually mature. They've been, you know, saved a long time. It's like we're losing some people who are really, really, um, uh, you know, significant to the health of the body of Christ. And so my wife and I were just talking about this for, for months. And so that's when we began to start going, okay. We can start something online. Now, what COVID did was COVID made it even much more acceptable for us to enter into that space and start a ministry online on Facebook, you know, as opposed to doing it many, many years ago. And I will definitely say uh, one of the pioneers in that area was uh, was Angela Craig, who started her um, an on, on a Facebook-only church. Uh, it was called Pursuit Church Live uh, several years ago that impacted, I think, 40-something countries. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So when I was kind of what, torn what's out her this, name again? Angela Craig, Angela Craig, she has a ministry on Facebook now called online Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she's handed off the, the, the leadership of, of pursuit church live to another couple now uh, that was doing um, hope church. Now they're, they've combined them. 
So now this couple is leading Pursuit Church Life. But for those first four or five years, Angela Craig, um, yeah, just just a great mom. So I, I began to, to kind of glean from her a bit like, okay, this is not a crazy idea. Like this is happening. This is effective. The impact is happening. And so for me, I also began to wrestle with, okay, what's the theology behind doing church, you know, digital only church? What's the theology there? Um, is it possible? Is it not? Is discipleship possible? Is it not? And, and, and I came to the conclusion that, you know, when, if someone, uh, and, and again, because of COVID people, people were much more um, open because of their experience of not being in the building anymore, seeing how much value there is in an online only context. Now it doesn't make up for getting a hug from somebody, getting a high five or being able to look somebody in the face across the room and smile or whatever. It doesn't make up for that, but there's still tremendous value in the online space and being able to, um, to, to develop and to foster relationships online. And so that's what COVID taught many of us, although it didn't teach everyone. <laughs> that's true. It didn't teach everyone. It didn't teach everyone. So, so my wife, Janine, and I, we launched into that space. Um, she was formerly a, a missions pastor at the church where I was the executive pastor. Uh-huh. And so, um, so there's a, a you know, missionary heart there to kind of reach out and, to, and to, to connect with people. So we started called Hearts Like His. So our Facebook group is called Hearts Like His. Now, here's the thing, though. We don't technically call it an online church because we're actually reaching out. Like our target was to reach out for people who have left the quote unquote organized church or institutional church. And so these people began to uh, part of this research and, and even people I talked to um, personally, they, they didn't want to leave the church. What they came to the conclusion of was that they were leaving a model. So it was not their intention to leave the body of Christ and to, and to not have fellowship and things like that, but that particular model didn't work for them. And so as I dove into hearing those reasons and looking at scripture and things like that, I was just like, man, we can, th- there are multiple expressions of church and, um, and, and I want every expression of church to win, whether you're in the, the, the Sunday morning one, whether you are in house to house, whether you're in micro churches, whether you are online only, doesn't matter to me because the lost are everywhere. Um, Christians are everywhere. And so we can have multiple expressions, or some people would say multiple modes, like this word multimodal church. Uh, I was just doing a a breakout with a Stadia, Stadia um, church planting organization had what's called an innovation meetup. And so we're talking about how to help people enter into these different spaces of of different modes of church because people are everywhere. The mission is still everywhere. So as we kind of um, uh, look back at what is church, right? Because there was a big, big arguments. Um, what, what is church? You can't do church online and this and that. And even some of my friends who were my, my pastor's friends who had me in, in, invited me to come speak for them. I mean, we're real friends. As I began promoting my group on Facebook, um, they're like, are you anti the institutional church? Are you anti? I'm like, no, we're all on the same team here, people. Like, st- like, why are you thinking that if something is progressing in one area, that it's an automatic threat to what you're doing? Like that, that kind of mentality is is a really uh, a limiting a limiting belief, and it's kind of a scarcity mentality. There are billions of people on the planet. Why are you worrying about what I'm doing on Facebook? If you handle what you're supposed to do, and I I promise you, God will add the increase. Don't worry about. It. We're on the same team, you know. So, so resting though, having an honest conversation with other pastors, what is your hesitation here? What is it? And so seeing how so many of them viewed online as a threat to in-person, they viewed online as in opposition to in-person. And I'm thinking, 
man, that is that is completely the wrong the wrong kind of the wrong kind of attitude. But uh, but going back to what I was saying earlier, the reason why we don't call it a church is because people are going after have left the quote unquote church. They want community. They want Christian community. So that's what we call it. It's an online ministry or online Christian community. That's it. That's it. Now, functionally, yeah, it's a church. <laughs> it's, it's a church. <laughs> but but if using that word um, uh, causes you to think something different about what we're about, then we're not going to use it. And so I don't care. We don't have to be called a church to be a church. That's right. That's <laughs> right. really right. We don't have to be called a church to be in church. And so if I say church, people think of pastors and a stage and worship teams and, and small groups and all, and all these kind of things. And we're not doing that. We're, we're not doing that. Um, one of the things I tell people is that, especially for online success, is to prioritize community over content. Mm-hmm. Community over content, right? People can get content anywhere. And they went church, they went church shopping 2020 more than they had, did ever, you know, uh, did before. You can get content anywhere. There are better speakers than any pastor, right? You can find them online. Um, and so it's not anything unique about the content, but what I can provide uniquely is, is the community, is the community. Um, but I also will say that one of the things that I did try to do differently is to focus on, on the father's love and seeing God as a father and walking with him as a child of God and with him being a father uh, as revealed through Jesus Christ. So that is an emphasis that's not uh, as emphasized in many other church contexts. Um, so anyhow, I, clearly I can go on and on and on, but you, I'm sure you want, <laughs> there's some questions you, <laughs> you want to, and we've talked some of this, you know, some through this a, a bit in some of our, the coaching uh, that I've, I've done with you. And so I, even some of our previous conversations, I kind of got a sense of what we might want to want to share here, but, um, but yeah, so if, if there are anything specific, any questions or anything like that, just I'm just happy to be on this <laughs> this podcast. It's like this is crazy to me that I'm being interviewed by Ralph Moore on, on his podcast. <laughs> I admire well, you so much, man. You know, it's um, it's been fun the coaching thing that I do having you in there, uh, and the fact that you're also coaching guys because mm-hmm. you're bringing insights. You know, I I produce a little video and then we get together and we talk about it and. And uh, you you always have uh, very, very unique insights and fresh. And so the question that comes to my mind is, um, in, in the people you're coaching, now getting away from what you're doing, mm-hmm. people that, you're, that are consulting with you, what, what are you seeing? What, where's the tide moving? What, what are they, you know, where, where's consensus? Where's the church going? I just read a quote from Lyle Schaller this morning. I'm, I'm not sure if I can remember it, but basically it said, the church is always on the move and, it, and it's either trying to move back to its past or it's embracing its future and it's never static. And so I think what COVID brought up was uh, there's so many people that are, that are reaching for 2019 and they're not thinking 2023, which is mm-hmm. at least where we got to be thinking, if not 2030, mm-hmm. 35, but what, what are you, what are you feeling? What's out there? What's, 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 what's the trend in, terms of people's feelings and fears and hopes and all of that yeah i um you know there was so much invested in the physical model of of church that being forced which was the case for many being forced to go either to start being on facebook live or online or being forced to put more into your online presence um put a bad taste in people's mouths because it, it was it was even though it's 2021 and or even from 2020 in you think man there's so much online anyway we should already been 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 jamming online um but so many of them were not 
And so they were confronted with um, rising to the surface was their was their anti-digital or anti-online um, uh, perspective or view, which which limited their creativity and their innovation and their ability to see opportunities online. And so it made it harder for them to adjust to digital ministry and, and online ministry because the entire time, even to right now, there are some pastors who it's as if they're, when, when, when COVID happened, it's as if their head got plunged underwater and they've been holding their breath the entire time, waiting to come back up for air. And, um, and so they didn't think about exploring the depths of the ocean when the head was underwater. <laughs> they just wanted, they just wanted that, that gas, waiting for that, that gasp of air again. Whew, okay, back in the building, right? So, so they missed out, some of them missed out on how they could have exploited the opportunities online because they just dealt with it. You know, they just dealt with it. And that can be seen in how they took the exact thing from Sunday and tried to just just put it online without changing anything online, even though it's a completely different environment, completely different um, uh, ministry context. They just try to duplicate what they're doing um, in, in, in the building. And so on the other hand, there are some that even though they couldn't wait to get back into the building, they did not know how long we're going to have to be online. So they did adapt. They did try to say, okay, let's put some manpower towards this. Let's put some funding towards it. Let's, let's improve our, the online experience, um, whether it be through cameras or sound or different software that they're using. And so those saw a great benefit, especially when, um, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months were going by and people are thinking, okay, we're not going to be in this building anytime soon. And because of that, sometimes our offerings are dipping, right? So you saw a lot of churches get on that digital, you know, online giving. They, they didn't think it was a thing before. They, it was a thing now. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> online giving because you can't depend on the bucket anymore. The bucket is gone, right? Um, and so, so sitting down, talking with pastors and seeing kind of where they're at, that's actually helped me to see what they need to do to kind of get over that hump. Okay. So, so for example, some pastors saw the online space as that sidecar to a motorcycle and that the motorcycle is the main thing. It's in person, it's the building, it's the stage, it's the lights. And then that sidecar is online ministry. And so, so the churches that actually did well are the ones that, that flipped it completely where that main motorcycle was their online ministry. Yeah. And that sidecar was their hope for getting back in the building or, you know, spacing the seats out in the sanctuary and things like that. Uh, that began to be the, the, the sidecar. So that's where I saw some of the the uh, um, some of the some of the growth. Uh, on the other hand, there are the ones that, like I said, leaned into the digital space. They're able to see, man, people's lives are being changed online. We can we have a bigger reach online. And so as they begin to see. Uh, as they begin to invest in that, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's personnel, they begin to see some of the return as their online audience increased, um, online engagement increased. And so, um, yeah, man, there's, there's such a wide spectrum of people's experiences. But I would say that their experiences were determined by their perspective. Yeah. If they saw online as an enemy, then it didn't work out. If they saw online as an opportunity, then it did work out. And I would say that here in the past few months, as some spaces began to open up uh, physically, so many churches found a surge of visitors because of how they exploited opportunities online. 
so many more people were watching online, watching people's ministries online, that those who are doing it well, those who took it seriously, it, it resulted in more in-person uh, uh, people. And so it's really, it's, man, such a wide variety of experiences, but um, yeah, yeah, so they're definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely so let, see who. Let, let's talk for a second about um, the interactivity online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What 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 you've learned or what you've seen in others? Um, the, making disciples who make disciples. How, how how is that working in the context that you're experiencing, or what have you observed in others? You know, my friend Myron Pierce has done a really good job of uh, using Facebook ads to you know penetrate a zip code in the Midwest someplace, or penetrate overseas countries, and mm-hmm. then he has figured out. And I. You know, he, he explains this to me, and I'm still in the dark. I don't figure it out. Um, he, how he'll he'll uh, interact with people well, well enough that he knows which person he needs to disciple to become the local leader. And then he spends time in Zoom chats with, with leadership development. Some of them, I mean, Zimbabwe, uh, Uganda, London, England, and Omaha, Nebraska, where he lives. Uh, what, what are you seeing? What are you learning? One of the things that... Um... I think is a huge element. And let me, let me just say, I, I, I look at some of Myron Pierce's stuff as well to look to map out some of my, the Facebook strategy, the page, the group. And so I learned a lot from Myron as well on the, the Facebook, uh, Facebook churches. Um, and at, matter of fact, I was introduced to him by listening to one of your podcasts when you were interviewing him. I said, let me check this guy out. And so sure enough, uh, connected with him, uh, uh, his content that, that way. Um, one of the things that I think is important for, um, online discipleship is the same thing that's important for in-person discipleship. And that is that if people are what I would call quote unquote satisfied customers, then there is a dynamic involved there where they will naturally share it with people. And I think, you know, in churches having such an emphasis on discipleship and it's, you know, information-based or this or that, I'm thinking, man, the, the, the heart has to be changed. And when someone's heart is changed, when they experience transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're, go- they're going to talk about it. And so and I'm getting to something else a little bit more logistic, but um, I think that's the piece that's been missing in the church. We just think discipleship is a classroom or a group setting. And discipleship is more than the context. It's about really what's happening from the heart of one person into the heart of another person. When transformation happens and people have something, to talk, there's a whole song that said, let's give them something to talk about. In many church contexts, people aren't having something to talk about. And I, I reflect over how many times in years I'm preaching to people. We got to share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. People are going to hell. We got to share the gospel. And trying to get people to do it out of obligation or duty, that doesn't do it. Yeah. On the other hand, as I've been preaching the gospel and just spending more time talking about the gospel, and people are experiencing freedom. They're experiencing the love of God. They're experiencing actually believing that they've been forgiven by God through the gospel. Now people are talking about it, right? Without me having to say, talk about it, talk about it, show the God. No, now they're talking about it. So, so even in my online community, the focus is transformation. Um, we say our, our tagline or whatever is, is discipling hearts in the Father's love. And so what ends up happening is, as I'm talking, I'm just preaching the gospel, the same message you, you know, we preach all the time, but just spending more time helping people understand it. And the Holy Spirit is changing people's lives on the other side of the screen. So here's what I, I remember distinctly with one particular feed we're talking about. I said, how, how, uh, tell me what was your main takeaway from Wednesday night's teaching? I teach on Wednesdays instead of Sundays. What was your main takeaway? What's happening in your life because of the teaching here? 
and people are saying, I'm talking to somebody at work about the gospel. We had a great conversation around my dinner table, talking about talking to my family about the, and I'm thinking to myself, that's it, right? So th- th- this hypothesis of when people are satisfied customers, they go tell it. I think that's the element that's that's kind of missing in some some context where we're trying to push discipleship. Now, on the other hand, it's how are you, how are these people now making disciples who make who make disciples? Well, that, that first step for me is is getting people to to naturally discuss it. And if they're not naturally discussing it, then I'm saying there's something they don't understand about the gospel. And that's where we need to start. Um, um, because people are, you know, if you go, if you see a great movie, you have great dinner, no one is having to beat you, beat you over the head and say, share it, share it, share it. You're taking pictures, you're, you know, because you're a satisfied customer. I think it begins there. So then when that happens, people are excited about sharing the gospel. They're not doing it out of duty or I'm, well, my church is telling me I got I to gotta be a disciple and I got to make a disciple. So I, they're not doing it they're, because they want to. There's something happening. On, you know, now you see the man who was uh, delivered from Legion, right? I'm just yeah. going to I'm going to share this. You see the woman at the well. I've got to go tell everybody. That's what's happening. I think that is a huge component to discipleship. And so then when people are sharing it with other people, whether it's in their family, whether it's at their job, uh, I'm seeing them talk about sharing it. Now I'm talking about, okay, how can you develop intentional relationships with those people who are interested, those, those listening ears? Um, and and what, <laughs> here's, here's part of what's happening. Part of what's happening. They're inviting their friends to join this group, right? So there, there's almost 400 people now in this group. We haven't advertised it past January when we started it. So they're inviting their, their friends to come in and to listen to the teaching and things like that. I'm like, okay, that's great, but I want you to talk with them. And, and I want, I want to, even from the very beginning, uh, we want to launch house churches out of our Facebook group. And so there's one young lady in Colorado. That's what she's about to do. There's another one in another city here in, in, in Vacaville. Um, well, I'm not in Vacaville now, but she's in Vacaville and wanted to open up their homes. Cause I'm saying, Hey, how many of you feel a stirring internally to open up your home to a group? And so I met with some of them, you know, one-on-one or in different chats. And so to talk about what that looks like. And so part of what that is, is having to some of the some of the hang up that's preventing them from making disciples or even starting a quote unquote church in their home is their traditional view or definition of these words. So I'm having to redefine these words for them so that they can find freedom in, in flowing in it. So I'm having to talk about what is a pastor. And they think a pastor is a person who's seminary trained, ordained on a stage with a microphone in a building. I'm like, no, no, let's look at the Bible and see what a pastor is. A pastor means shepherd. Right? How many of you feel you, you feel naturally like like God's called you to shepherd a group of people? Hands go up. Okay, I said, well, that's what pastoring is. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net.